personally, I love the idea of being able to adapt employers' benefits and wellness programs to employees' needs. And that changes based off of the industry, based off of the demographics of employees, based off of locations, based off of so many things. So just being able to speak to employees and find really cool resources for them, I think that's such a cool thing. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure, and manage important benefit programs, Make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that, quite frankly, often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. Hannah Wilkowski is in charge of global benefits at BuzzFeed, a company that's on the pulse of a new generation, is also on the pulse of a new generation of benefits. Hannah says the world of benefits have changed. It's no longer just about medical, dental, vision, and 401k. Workers are seeking a lot more from their company, and Hannah makes sure that BuzzFeed is staying ahead of the changing needs of its employees. Let's dive right in. Hannah Wilkowski, thank you for coming on the show. How are we feeling today? Great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're, we're going to have some fun. I'm loving your energy. You're coming out of the gate <laughs> strong. Today, we're going to learn about you as a person. We're going to learn about your area of expertise. And uh, we're just going to have some fun. Sound like a plan? Sounds great to me. So what do you say we get to it? I'm going to shoot you off some what I call rapid fire questions. From there, we'll transition into more of what I call like the main segment. And then we'll go from there. Great. Works for me. All right. Are you a lefty or a righty? Starting off on an awkward question, I was actually born a lefty and in kindergarten, I was switched to my right hand. So it's a long way of saying I just have really bad handwriting. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. So I actually just love that question in general, just when talking to people, because these kinds of interesting stories come up. But Mm -hmm. uh, for some reason, I just had a feeling you were a lefty. That's so funny. Actually, both my grandmothers were born lefties turned righties also. So it's also just like a funny thing that, and my sister is a lefty and she remained a lefty. So yeah, a whole bunch of people in my family are lefties. That's so interesting. And then what about, I don't know if you played any sports, but did you lean more lefty or righty? So the two sports that come to mind are skee-ball, which, you know, questionable whether or not you want to consider that a sport. I do. I think it's fun. And then bowling. So bowling, I'm pretty ambidextrous with. And that's not to say I bowl well. It just means that mm-hmm. sometimes like I hit a few pins with my left and other times I hit a few more pins or fewer pins with my right. And ball, I usually am much more lefty. So interesting. So you really should have just stuck with being lefty. I think so. Like sometimes I like try to switch it a little bit and just to see like if I'm now 
not now, but if I am more comfortable with my left hand writing and I'm really just not. So right now it's just like still normal to write with my right hand. That's quite some time ago. But yeah, I used to think about like, oh, like maybe like what would have been different if I had just continued being that lefty? Probably not much, but. (laughs) (laughs) You never never know. So I was going to ask you to tell me something that most people don't know about you. I don't know if you still got something uh, in the kitty there or could that have been it? That that could be it. The other thing, like the first thing that pops into mind, maybe because it's the end of summer, is that like I have like a phobia of slugs and I don't know like where it came from, but and they're never going to like chase me down a street or anything. So it's a strange like fear <laughs> to have, but I cannot be anywhere near slugs. Interesting. Did you ever put salt on them as a kid? That makes me too sad. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah like I don't like the idea because it must be so painful. Like I've had like like salt in my own wounds before and like that's painful so i'm sure like being a slug and having salt poured on you is painful so i just kind of rather they didn't exist that's kind of like where i go with that one (laughs) that's an interesting one you have such a nice disposition what was the nicest thing that someone has ever done for you oh that's a good question I have to give kudos to my husband. I think any trip he plans is always to me the nicest thing ever because he takes so much care to like map out the days and make sure that we have a good like balance of physical activity, like a hike, and then like a really like amazing spot to go for lunch or like a drink after. And then it just, he always like manages to have to make it so much fun like the first trip we went on was he's from Puerto Rico so I visited his his home and his parents and family in Puerto Rico and I think it's actually one of the best trips I've ever taken because every day was something more fun and something like just he did growing up and then he planned out we went um for one of my birthdays we did the weekend mean and he also planned out every day and it was perfect and like every day was like a perfect day of like let's do like a fun activity whether that's paddle boarding or kayaking or hiking and here's this amazing spot for ice cream after so every time like he plans and like wow like you put a lot of time into this like it's, it's really nice and it worked out really well that's great you had me an ice cream by the way i mean has the best ice cream yeah like, there's no question about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah they do wow what a thoughtful guy that, that's awesome well con- congratulations on the both of you because i know that you're yeah. newlyweds as well so <laughs> that's fantastic what's a piece of technology that you couldn't live without oh it's such a boring answer probably my phone because it's also my alarm it's like how i check my emails for work it's where i get like my slack messages for work so i feel like everything is just like on one neat little device now if i wanted to be a bit more fun i would say my e-reader what's an e-reader I got my Kindle. Oh, gotcha. Well, then what's the difference between an e-reader and a Kindle? I think to me, an e-reader is just like the umbrella term for any sort of like electronic reader. So it's like a Nook or a Kindle and whatever other technology is out there that you can read on. But I guess like I like the idea that like you can read You have a library at your fingertips, which is so cool. Mm-hmm. And then like you don't have a whole... Not that I have anything against bookshelves, but they get so dusty. (laughs) It always stresses me out that like putting them in the right order, like is it size order or is it by title, by author? (laughs) So now you have like one little neat device that like probably hopefully won't get too dusty and you have like whatever you want at your fingertips. All right. That's true. All right. Well, let me ask you this then. What was the last thing that you were reading on your e-reader? I'm currently reading, it's a Kingbridge series by Ken Follett. And I forget the name of the book. It's number two. So I started with, in the series, I think there are four. 
And I feel like he's actually writing a prequel to the first, which is really cool. But I started with a third book because I was just into like that time period, which was Queen Elizabeth in England. And then I just really liked the book and how he wrote. So I went back to the first book and I'm on the second book. So I kind of just like really screwed up the order. So I'm trying to complete the Kingsbridge series from Ken Hallett. Interesting. I mean, that guy, I don't think you can go wrong with him. He, he, how many books is he? I mean, he's been writing since the seventies, right? I mean, we're talking. Yeah. yeah. And what's I, funny is that he took, a, I was reading, uh, you know, about him. He took a huge chance with like going into like historic fiction. And I think those were some of his bestsellers. And like his publisher was like, Oh, like, are you sure you want to do this? Like stick to what you know. And he was like, no, like I have, like, I have a feeling like I'm loving what I'm writing. I'm really into this. I think people are going to be really into this. And that's like what I know him for. So it worked out really well for him. He had a feeling. <laughs> and for you. <laughs> getting, yeah. getting right <laughs> <laughs> so let me ask you something, Hannah, if you weren't in HR, what do you think you'd be doing right now? This is like one of the easiest questions I've ever been asked. I would, yeah. So I I don't do a good job here and this is what you're telling me. You do a really good job because I love talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) So if I had unlimited funds, that's kind of the caveat. I would own a large piece of land, probably upstate, and then I would rescue and rehabilitate dogs. And then I would create some sort of survey to match the right people up with the right rescue dogs because I feel like Mm -hmm. sometimes... People go to, if they're adopting or rescuing, they go to the shelter and they like find like the fluffy, cute dog while there are 10 others who maybe to them aren't as cute. And then they get maybe the dog that's not quite right for them. So maybe it's too active and they live like a more low-key lifestyle. So I feel like one, to like vet out the people who like shouldn't be dog owners and also just to make sure that's a good fit, there should be some sort of survey to like match up the dog's personality and their needs with the humans. That would kind of like turn it into a whole business of like rescue and rehabilitating as well as like creating and implementing and distributing that survey. So that way, like nationally, the right people are matched up with the right pets, not just dogs, but pets. That's an awesome idea, by the way. I don't know if that's been thought of or not, but if that is something that is of interest to you, there are some people I can uh, put you in touch with from, I know some people pretty pretty high in the food chain at the ASPCA. I also know people at uh, Guiding Eyes for the Blind. And I also just know a couple of other people that also take in dogs. We're talking like 50 at a time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, like rescues and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to make that introduction, not for the show, but we can do that <laughs> offline <laughs> if you want. You know, offline, I'm going to take you up on that. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that is a beautiful thing. But you are an HR, and, and I'd love, if <laughs> at least for right now, I'd love for you to share what it is exactly that you're doing in your area of expertise. Sure. So my area of expertise is employee benefits and wellness. I kind of fell into this. I was listening to a few other of your podcasts and that seems to be a bit of a trend and that people kind of fall into like this amazing area that they love in HR. So I was really lucky that my first job, which was not in HR, it was just in data and analytics, actually, this led me to fall into like the medical part and the data e part of HR, which is employee benefits. And then I just always had a passion for the wellness portion of like corporations. I remember at my very first job, um, which was a healthcare company, we had some sort of like fitness competition where like you just put in what you did during the day, like whether it was walking or running up and down stairs. And I think I was at the time, one of the very few people who was like, oh my God, this is amazing. I'm so motivated. (laughs) But then I remember like talking to my parents after I'm like, that's so cool. Like you can like 
motivate employees to be fit at work. And my parents were like, that's not a thing, Hannah. Like, that's never going to be a thing. Like, that's like a, such a weird, like, but cool. It's a great idea, but it's so new. I've never heard of that. So it just happens that my second job, which was benefit specific, kind of brought together a lot of my passions. So long story long, my my personal expertise is benefits and wellness. And it was kind of just the accumulation of a lot of my passions from my first few jobs and then just growing up. I think my favorite parts about this, you can think about it in a few different ways, but academically, I love that benefits and wellness will make me a forever student. So you can't be in benefits especially on a global scale, if you're not constantly keeping updated with different governmental regulations, what's happening on different locations with different maximums, what's changing based off of like who's the president or who's in charge of the area. So I feel like one, every day I'm learning something new. And then also to keep up with trends because employee benefits is a lot about trends and making sure employees are getting the most relevant and effective benefits. It's also about joining those workshops and speaking to employees and just seeing, well, one, what's out there and two, how can we help you? And then I also love that what I do is on a global scale. So I started out with just U.S. benefits. And then in my second benefits role, it was a global scale. We had four countries. And I remember thinking, every place is so different. How amazing is that? And that like, you know, what we have in the U.S. is really, there aren't too many other places that have like employee benefits like the U.S. does. So I just thought that was really cool. And every day, like I I look up something new, I learn something new. And that to me just like keeps me so excited and motivated. And then professionally, I love that. I feel like over the past few years, benefits, employee benefits and wellness has become just more and more seen really as being really a value add for organizations. I feel like a decade ago or so, when I first joined the workforce, it was up and coming. Like there was one fitness competition that I know about, the one that I did, but like it really wasn't a big thing. We had medical dental vision and a 401k and that's it. And then I feel like over the past decade or so, there have been as more and more millennials join the workforce, which has become more apparent that employee benefits doesn't have to stop there. So I just love that professionally, it's kind of like, this area that's booming. And then personally, I love the idea of being able to adapt employers' benefits and wellness programs to employees' needs. And that changes based off of the industry, based off of the demographics of employees, based off of locations, based off of so many things. So just being able to speak to employees and find really cool resources for them, I think that's such a cool thing. That's great. I got to tell you a couple things that you remarked I'd like to really highlight. And and one that I took away from what you just shared mm-hmm. is that you were very bullish on U.S. benefits. And a lot of the people that I speak with aren't. You always hear people kind of cutting on, oh, our health plans and our benefits don't compare to those in Europe. So it was really nice for you to highlight all the different things that are out there and all these different benefits mm-hmm. that I think a lot of people are taking for granted. So it's good to hear that. And I, I love that. You also touched on something. You talked about millennials and the workforce. It's very different these days with that growing millennial population. So how does that affect your job? And why is it so important to look at the entire population when you're doing what you do? it's so important to look at the entire population. I think kind of the main takeaway is that different people have different needs at different 
times of their life. So the idea of a one-size-fits-all benefits program, I think, is really just becoming a thing of the past. And the past, I mean, is just a decade ago, which is not that long ago. But when I first entered the workforce, it was medical dental vision and 401k. And I didn't think to ask for anything else because that's what was out there. That's what employers offered. And I think over the course of the past few years, as more and more millennials enter the workforce, it really just changes the conversation to employers saying, here's what we have, take it or leave it, to an actual conversation of saying, okay, well, here are benefits programs, but let us know what's working, what's not working. Let's turn this into a conversation. Let's work together to make sure that what you need to excel at home and at the workplace, because especially now they kind of fold into each other, Mm. just to make sure that we have the resources to help you feel and do your best. I like that holistic approach. Mm -hmm. I feel like an organization that makes the effort to kind of understand the needs of employees and how they're kind of always shifting is really one that's going to have a more productive workforce. And it just makes sense to me, like in different stages of people's lives, they're going to need different resources. So why would you have just a short list of benefits programs that doesn't really help you throughout your lifetime as an employer, I feel like it is part of your responsibility just to make sure that employees get get the most that they possibly can. Hmm. So what do millennials want? Oh man, that is the million dollar question. <laughs> I would say that more than anything else, I think millennials want to feel like they're getting what they deserve. I think they just have higher expectations. So they understand that the world's benefits encompasses more than just like the core benefits, health, retirement, and risk. And I feel like as we're kind of growing together, that conversation, what can we do for you, has just become more and more important. So I've worked in companies where we have a big baby boomer and Gen X population. And for the most part, having those risk benefits, those health benefits, retirement benefits, that's really the main concern. But then you come and you look at millennials and you kind of look at where they are in their life. And I feel like it's such a different story. So you kind of just have to adapt your benefits programs to reflect that. For instance, there are a lot of millennials now who are thinking about possibly starting a family. That's the age range now. So that comes with a lot, right? So they want to make a decision whether or not they want to start a family. So offering fertility benefits is really important. Having that professional resource out there that they can talk to about their different options through the workplace is amazing. They don't have to kind of search through Google to find fertility specialists who may be in network, may not be in network. They actually can just go through their employer's resources and say, oh, actually, like we have, we use KindBody at BuzzFeed, for example. So I'm going to call KindBody and just kind of talk to someone there and see what my options are. And then if they do make the decision to go ahead and start or grow their family, then we have what's called Maven, which is eternity benefit. And that kind of walks employees or their partners through all the steps of pregnancy up to the baby's first year of life. So that can include resources. And this is unlimited virtual resources. So like doulas, nurses, mental health specialists, sleep coaches, because I hear babies don't sleep that well, career coaches, return to work coaches, a whole plethora of different resources at their fingertips. Because for those who are starting their families, you know, it's a brand new murky world and there are so many questions. And especially now when you can't just go to the mommy and me classes or 
the pre-birth classes, having at your fingertips the ability to learn more and speak to a professional, I think is so helpful and so important. And then for those who have families, especially now when you're living and working at home, it must be really hard to have kids. So offering, and even without or before coronavirus, it probably is really hard being a working parent, right? So you want to be able to offer backup childcare or tutoring services, or right now what's really big is like virtual school. So access to a virtual school and like a flexible working arrangement that was go really far with employees, especially millennials, because now you're saying we understand you're a parent and you're a professional and it's so hard to make it both work. So here's everything we can do to help you with that. And then when it comes to like voluntary benefits, which I am a huge fan of, basically what a voluntary benefit is, it's a benefit that's typically through the employee's payroll and you get the group rate, but employees pay 100% of the price. So instead of going off and getting an individual policy, you have through your employer lower rates that you pay for and they come right out of your paycheck. So it's just kind of an easy way to add more benefits. So what I like, it's what I like to call high impact, low cost benefit, which I, of course, I'm a big fan of. So some voluntary benefits that have, I think, done really well, specifically with the millennial population, but just on the whole in general is identity theft protection that, you know, is huge right now. I've had it twice. Oh my goodness. That's not fun. (laughs) No. Big fan of your voluntary benefits is where I'm going. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Pet insurance, which of course I'm a fan of. Legal insurance and financial counseling. Those are great. So you work in an industry that's known for very high turnover, right? The tech industry. Mm -hmm. Does that factor into your decision-making process at all when you're going about putting these benefits together and choosing them? Yes. And that's a great question. And I feel like the answer is kind of twofold in that probably what I'm supposed to say is that, or the first thought a lot of people have is, oh, so certainly like you want to make your benefits so great that people end up staying longer. And while yes, I think having really, really rich benefits and being in the most amazing workplace possible. I think the truth of it, it just that truth pill that you need to swallow is that in the tech industry and with millennials, on average, people just aren't staying that long. They're staying around 18 to 24 months, let's say. So yeah, you can say that let's get really, really rich benefits and let's make sure that premiums are really low and have all these amazing resources for employees. But the truth of it is that People are just jumping. They like that new adventure and that's okay. So the goal maybe is not just to see if we can retain people longer. When it comes to kind of benefits and making that decision, yes, you want to have really rich benefits. But I think really where it comes into play in working in an industry where there is high turnover, both because it's a tech industry and because it's millennial heavy, is that it makes in the benefits world being a professional benefits professional, it makes me really keep a constant eye on what's happening with our claims data, what's happening with the people who are coming in and the people who are leaving the employer in such that you want benefits programs that fill gaps, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're seeing a large uptick in claims over a few months, a half year, a year, where you hadn't seen it beforehand, It's probably because people are coming in with their own 
needs, their own backgrounds, and other people are leaving. So where maybe some employers have never had musculoskeletal or gastrointestinal claims issues before and that it was very, very low utilization in those areas, maybe now you're seeing an uptick and keeping a keen eye on the claims data will kind of help you prepare for any larger increases. And by prepare for, I mean, it kind of makes you think, oh, okay, I'm seeing a huge uptick in this GI and MS. Do we have resources for that? Are our medical um, plans, are they like are they enough? Or should we maybe thinking about exploring new resources for those employees? So one, it helps them manage whatever issue they have. And two, it helps lower our claims costs, which, you know, is a really big deal. The other part of that is not only just analyzing claims data, but it's also talking to employees. And as people leave and new employees come in, with them comes fresh ideas and fresh thoughts and needs and desires. So, you know, you talk to people and you say, oh, like, how are you doing? Is there anything that we can help you with? Are you okay? And then through those conversations, you kind of learn, oh, well, I'm moving soon and I don't really know anything about buying a house. And actually this happened at BuzzFeed in that we realized that everyone for the most part lives in the city. And as you start to have those families, you think about leaving the city. But for a lot of us, including myself, I don't really know the first thing about buying a house. So that's kind of a gap, right? So maybe it's not exactly considered benefits. Maybe it's something bigger. Maybe it's learning and development. But then what we did was we actually brought in real estate agents and a few different people just to talk through the process of what it means to like be financially ready to buy a house and what you should be looking for and here are the steps that you should take. So I think it's really just talking to employees and learning what they need, whether it's a strict benefits resource or more just educational and then giving it to them. Like I now feel like I have the tools I need when it's time to think about buying a house to start. You know, it's really interesting. There are a couple of things that that you Mm -hmm. touched on that uh, piqued my interest, I guess. Well, first, what benefits get the most utilization? That's my first question. And then the the second question is, it sounds like, I, I, I I don't know if you guys are are you self-funded? Because is that because you're able to see all the claims data, or this is just what you're you're being told? So we're fully funded, mm-hmm. but we can still see high-level claims data. So we see where the bulk of our spend is. We see percentage-wise how many people get their preventive services or checkups done per year. So we can really see on a monthly basis where that dial is shifting, if it is at all. And then I think the second part was the most highly used or utilized benefit. So outside of medical, I would say mental health. Mm. So that's really interesting. I was on, I've actually heard the same statistic now within the points twice in the past month where I was talking to someone who runs benefits and they told me that I think it's between, well, between the two, between 30 to 40% of their millennial population or those under the age of 30 or 35, I forgot the exact, is on some kind of, I guess, drug, some kind of, uh, you know, mental health drug. I believe it. And actually, it's another one of the really important benefits for millennials. And I'm surprised I didn't think of it earlier. But when it comes to like picking 
plans for employers, but more specifically employers that have a heavy millennial population. Yeah, mental health is huge and it's so important and it's always been important, but I feel like millennials really brought the conversation to a norm in that it's not that it's ever shameful to see a therapist or, you know, go to a mental health specialist, but I think in in generations past, it just wasn't as talked about. And millennials have normalized the conversation. And what that means as an employer and what that means on the benefit side is that they expect mental health benefits at, at work and they should. So at BuzzFeed, we have Ginger and it's amazing. It's one of my favorite benefits. I'm not supposed to have favorites, but they're one of my favorites. <laughs> and every global employee gets one free, I'm sorry, gets unlimited virtual coaching. And then US employees and their families get 10 free therapy sessions per year. And it's all virtual. And they've always been virtual, but right now that's so important because people are home and they don't feel comfortable leaving their home. So from your own phone or computer, with a touch of your finger, you can talk to a mental health specialist. So yes, a lot of like where the cost um, claims are, especially for millennials, is those mental health sessions, whether it's a prescription drug or whether it's therapy or anything else. So I feel like being able to provide resources to help with that is really important for employers. That's fantastic. And, and again, getting back to the uh, one of the original questions about uh, the best piece of technology, if you've got your phone, you've got access right there to some form of telemedicine through your benefits. Oh, yeah. Within, I mean, so there's telemedicine, there's telehealth. So we have, I mean, I'm just, of course, I want to promote BuzzFeed's benefits because I personally think they're the best. So we have one medical through our our medical. It comes with one medical so through our medical plan, it comes with the one medical membership, which is amazing, especially now. So from the touch of your fingers, within 30 minutes, you can be talking to a doctor just to make sure that rash on your arm isn't something that you need to come in for or go over your symptoms. And, you know, is it something I should come in for? Or is it something that I can help resolve with over-the-counter drugs? And then when it comes to tele- like medical health, uh, sorry, mental health, yeah, we have ginger. So with the touch of your finger, you can talk to a therapist and you can talk to the same therapist and, you know, over the course of X amount of weeks or however often you want and create that rapport with someone. So you, you know, can really like talk through something and trust that same person. It's amazing. I I think that's great. I was actually, ironically enough, just last uh, Wednesday, I was at lunch with a CHRO of a a, a fairly sizable private equity firm. Mm -hmm. And while we were at lunch, he got a call from a gentleman that's worked at the organization for a while who was Mm -hmm. suicidal. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, it's a very long story. The punchline is they offered, they through their benefits, they had a similar service. So he was able to, within a couple minutes, get this gentleman on the phone with a mental health counselor. Like, wow, yeah, yeah. So thanks to that, it, yeah, it was a really, it was a, a powerful lunch. Needless to say, but it turned into a conversation about how you know it's something that they recently implemented that's uh, clearly beneficial. Mm-hmm. So it sounds uh, like it's it. great. So we're, we're kind of winding down on time. I've got so many more questions. Let me try to kind of ro- <laughs> sure. let me try to ask you one or two more, and then I'll let you go because this has been great. What's the best advice someone ever gave you? I would say something along the lines of it's okay to be a little uncomfortable, and that's really something that 
I've learned in the workplace, but have taken both inside and outside the workplace from there. And to me, what it means is that if it's making you uncomfortable, not like physically or like not alarmingly so, but if you're uncomfortable speaking in public, go speak in public. Like if you're uncomfortable presenting to an executive board, go find a reason to present to that executive board, like do something that makes you uncomfortable because otherwise you're not going to grow. You're not going to gain that confidence. And with that growth and that confidence comes so, so many more opportunities. I love that. I absolutely love that. Anything that you've done that's pushed you out of your comfort zone? Yes. When I talked about public speaking, that was like the first thing that came to mind. So my first two jobs, one is a healthcare company. I was a data analyst. And my second was at HarperCollins. I was a benefits coordinator. I didn't have to speak publicly at all, except for maybe in front of my boss. But my third job um, was at a financial services company, and that was global benefits management. I was doing presentations for open enrollment in front of the whole company. And I remember telling my boss it's something that I don't really want to do. He was like, oh, you don't want to do it? Great, you're doing it. And I was like, but I am so scared. I've never like really spoken in front of so many people before in my life. And he was like, good, you're going to do it now. And I'm going to help you get there. And the first, first time was scary. And I probably tripped over my words. But then I realized that people are just there to learn something. And that something is what I, my expertise is in. I love employee benefits and I love talking about them, as you can tell. So I just, after the first time, I kind of took a deep breath and said, awesome. Like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to have fun with it. Good for you. It sounds like a great manager too, by the way. Yeah, he was, he was great. <laughs> awesome. Well, I, I got to tell you, Hannah, this has been a lot of fun. This has been very interesting, extremely enlightening. And uh, I just appreciate you making today happen. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me. You got it. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to networkwise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, Subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always NetworkWise. Network